Welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Adventist ministry context. Now, whether you've been listening to this podcast from the very beginning, or if this is the first one you're just checking out, we'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, questions, sarcasms, or criticisms to us at podcast at propelconference.org. Our staff reviews every message, and we're always looking for ways to improve on both the podcast and the conference. So please email us at podcast at propelconference.org. Also, we would appreciate your leaving a review for the podcast on whatever platform you're using. It'll really help us out. Today, we're sharing a presentation by Dr. Roger Walter, Senior Pastor of Adventist Community Church in Vancouver, Washington, and the President of Evangelead. He's the author of Evangelism Intelligence, with 35 years of experience as a pastor, church planter, conference leader, and leadership coach. Roger and I were both part of the church planting movement in the late 90s and early 2000s in the North Pacific and Mid-America unions, and, and, and I've appreciated the clarity with which he explains evangelistic processes. In this talk, Roger talks about the importance of asking for decisions. There's always a next step in someone's spiritual journey, and we should always ask people to take that next step. Roger points out the power of decisions to overcome emotional and mental barriers, describes a number of variations in how to ask for decisions, and explains how repetition prepares the soil of someone's heart to make a life-changing decision. Asking for decisions is a crucial step in the evangelistic process, and I really appreciate Roger's expertise on this topic. I hope you do too. Before we get to his talk, I'd like to mention the sponsor of this episode, Adventist World Radio. AWR will help you become a digital missionary using just your cell phone, allowing you to interact in real time with questions and prayer requests from people locally as well as around the world. No matter if you're on your couch, at the beach, or in the carpool line, or wherever, you can help lead others to the true source of healing and peace. You can learn more about Adventist World Radio at awr.org. With that, let's go back to the 2023 Propel Conference and hear Dr. Roger Walter give his presentation called Asking for Decisions. You know, a lot of people think that evangelism is all about uh, the information. Um, they think it's, you know, if you just add, take Mark Finley's sermons and add two more texts to it, you know, we're going to be good. Uh, Forrest Edamore wrote the first ones and somebody else said, why didn't he use those three texts and adds those? And somebody else adds three more. Mark Finley comes along and adds three or four more. And then somebody else, you know, I had an evangelist who uh, was down in Lebanon and uh, he spoke three hours every night. Um, and, but he, I don't know, I asked him about it. His response was, I have to preach the whole message. I want to make sure they get everything. Mm. And I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't buy it. I think three hours is too much. It's okay to leave some text for the local pastor to do, you know? It's okay to leave some text so when you're visiting somebody in the home, it's okay to leave some scriptures so they can discover on their own, you know? Um, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of people think evangelism is just about information. And I, there's a local church around here who's, who they tried evangelism a whole bunch of times. My, 
my daughter's dating a guy that goes to that church. Um, he's in the process probably of transferring his membership here because this is where she likes to come when she's home. Um, she lives up in Puyallup. But he told her, we were getting ready to do an evangelistic meeting here, and we got our youth and young adults involved in doing it. We'd, they've done about five evangelistic series over the last uh, three years um, through the pandemic and stuff. Wonderful. And that's what some of the pictures are on the Evangelied uh, booth out there is about. But uh, he said, I don't know why they do these things. They never work. And that's the church he grew up in, where they would do evangelism, and they would never get any results from it. I know the pastor. He's a great guy, and it, but he's a, he's a theologian in his own right to some degree. And yet, he made his seminars really deep, and he couldn't get, and it was going over people's heads. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like, well, the Greek word, blah, blah, blue, you know, says this, and it, here's what it means, and here's what it meant to say, and, you know, and it's like, I don't, I think that just sets a pastor or a speaker up to be superior mm -hmm. uh, when you start quoting Greek words and reading Greek words and, and that kind of thing. I mean, I think evangelism includes information, but I think if that's where it stops, we're in trouble. Um, so, you know, we have to preach messages that are full of information. Yes, I, I get it. Um, but I think they have to be about Jesus. And they have to be about trying to get decisions. Um, public evangelism is the only thing in the Adventist system that's designed to get many decisions at a time. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's, it's a pretty... Uh, um, big deal because I think instead of preaching what information do I want people to walk away, walk away with we have to ask the question what difference does it make after I preach a sermon is it making a difference and so many people you've heard the cold cliche they're gonna miss heaven by about 18 inches you know because they don't they have it up here but they don't have it down here and how do we make sure that that happens how do we make sure that that people are doing it um, when I was a literature evangelist working the summers going to college back selling the big books door to door um, they took me to a Tom Peters sales seminar over here in Jansen Beach I think is where it was <clears throat> at the Red Lion and we sat there and we listened to Tom Peters and he, he, he talked a lot about this idea that you gotta learn to close the sale mm -hmm. and, and what I realized is that the average pastor doesn't know how to close a sale they they, they might be able to do it in a Bible study, but even then sometimes I wonder if they know how, the average pastor. And it's, it's this whole idea that, you know, most people don't know how to close a sale. They're afraid to ask, do you want to make a decision? Um, uh, they're afraid to offend somebody. You know, when I was, when I was canvassing, I, uh, my leader told me one time, I shouldn't say this, I'm on tape, but oh well. Um, he, he says to me, he says, Samson killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of an ass, and many a sale has been lost the same way. And <laughs> because he's, what he was trying to tell me was, you, you call for a decision and then you shut up. Because sometimes we talk people out of the decision. And that's in sales, but that's in evangelism. Um, here's, a, here's a quote from Ellen White. Um, you are in need of vital energy from heaven. We must in our work not only, strike, uh, not only strike the iron when it is hot, 
but make the iron hot by striking. Slow, easy, indolent movements will do nothing for us in this work. We must be instant in season, out of season. These are critical times for work, but hesitation and delay, we lose many good opportunities. Hi. Strike while the iron's hot, and if it's not hot, strike it to get it hot. You know. In other words, she's she's saying that we need to work to get those decisions. That's the whole point of evangelism. And and when you stop and look at it, that's what Adventist ministry used to be about. Um, in Ellen White's day, the pastors didn't sit over the church. If you read the history, James White was the pastor of the Battle Creek Tabernacle, but he was never there. He was literally never there except maybe once a year for a couple of weeks. And, but he was the pastor of the Battle Creek Tabernacle because he was out doing evangelism. And, and how do you think Adventism grows? You know, when, when Russell Burrell was the ministerial director of uh, the NAD while he was still at Natty, um, we did this year of pastoral evangelism in 2011, I think is when it was. I was on the committee that helped plan it. Ron Cluzet took it over and made it happen because Russell retired at that point. Um, that was 2010, actually. 2011, USA Today produced an article that said the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the fastest growing church in North America. Um, and when you stop and look at it, it was specifically because it was on the heels of that year of evangelism and everybody was doing evangelism. Now, if USA Today were to measure it today, we're not the fastest growing church. We were that year because we, not everybody, but a lot of people, a lot of people did evangelism in that year. And, and when you do evangelism, if you're preaching for decisions, you're trying to get a decision, you know, more people come in to the, to the message. And so, um, I just think it's, it's crucial that we understand that it is about getting decisions, but you got to ask. Um, when, when, I'm, uh, when I'm doing an evangelistic meeting, I make sure that I'm preparing, if I'm not asking for a decision tonight, but I know I'm going to ask for a decision on two or three nights from now, I'm going to prepare the soil to get a decision for that tonight and tomorrow night and the next night so that I get it that night. And little decisions lead to big decisions. Because if you take a step, that's a little decision. Take another step, it's a little decision. Take another step and all of a sudden you look back and you're like, wait a minute, that's a long ways away from where I was. You know, and, you, and, and it's those little decisions that come in and that make bigger decisions. And so we have to understand how to get little decisions. And I heard Mark Finley speak in um, it was in, at the Toronto General Conference ministerial meetings. And uh, he says there's a lot of ways to get decisions. We often think it's just about handing out a card and get people to check a card. And sometimes we'll have them bring the card forward. But he says you get people to make decisions by, say, by just simply stating, you know, you can all see the world's going to pot. You know, you can see that, right? Can't you? Raise your hand if you can see that. People raise their hand. You've just made a little decision. As people make little decisions, it's a common selling technique. Um, and again, I think evangelism, we are selling the gospel to people. We're trying to get them, people convinced. Not everybody likes that language because they think it's kind of crass sounding. But when you stop and you think about the idea, if I can get you to make just a small little decision, the next decision comes easier. And the next decision comes easier. The biggest hurdles we have in Adventism are we have to get over the... Uh, we, that when you cross the seventh, uh, when you cross the second coming, 
That's a hurdle. It's a theological hurdle, okay? So they, most people, if they know anything about the second coming, the theology tells them it's going to be the secret rapture. So it's a theological hurdle. When you come to the state of the dead, it's a hurdle that talks, uh, it's an emotional hurdle, right? Because if you take an, uh, if you want to take Aunt Mary out of heaven and put her back in the grave, that's an emotional issue for people. And, and emotion's hard to get over, okay? It's, second coming's a pretty easy one to get over. It didn't always be that, wasn't always that way, but the second coming today is pretty easy to get over. The state of the dead is a little harder to get over because of the emotion involved in it. Nobody wants to think of their grandma in the grave rotting, you know, waiting for the second coming. Um, and yet, uh, the hardest decision we have to get from people is the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is not only a theological decision, it's has some emotion in it because I've always gone to church on Sunday if I've gone to church but it's also a lifestyle issue and if you don't think lifestyle decisions are hard ask any doctor who tells his patients to lose weight and they won't do it right because it's too hard to get those decisions made because you know I thought the other day I said to myself I should fast. You know, I used to fast once a week. I used to fast every Wednesday just because it was supposed to be good for me. And I thought I should start that up again. So I get to about noon, haven't eaten yet, and I think I'm going to die. And I think I'm going to, you know, dry up and blow away because I've missed one meal and I'm heading into the second one and, and I'm going to eat. Because changing lifestyle is hard. It's really hard. And so when you think about getting decisions, the Sabbath is your hardest decision to get people over. So what do we do about it? We preach on the law, law and grace, and then we preach about the Sabbath, and then we preach about this change of the Sabbath, and then we preach about the mark of the beast, then we preach about America and prophecy, and all of those deal with the Sabbath because the repetition is what gets people over some of those hurdles. Repetition is important in getting decisions. Um, so, um, yeah, I asked a neighboring pastor one time to help with an evangelistic series when I was in Colorado. We were doing an evangelistic series that was over one weekend. We did three, four presentations on Friday night and ten presentations on Sabbath. And we were going to do it all in one, okay? Um, some, somewhat like we would do here, you know, everybody attends a seminar and, uh, you know, pick whatever. So I said, would you preach on the 70 weeks? Now, who can tell me what the 70 weeks the primary focus of the 70 weeks is? Yeah. It's a crucifixion, right? It, the 70-week prophecy proves that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? And the point of it is, there are 490 years for the Jewish people to make a decision and seek forgiveness of God and accept the Messiah. Well, I mean, the crucifixion pinpoints it, right? Who the Messiah is. Absolutely pinpoints it. This guy gets up. I'm thinking he's an Adventist pastor. He knows this. I, I'm thinking it's obvious. Now, I didn't grow up an Adventist, so things that are obvious to me are not always obvious to people that grow up in the system, okay? He gets up and he preaches, and he spends, of the 30 minutes he had to preach about this topic, maybe 35, um, he spends 20 to 25 of it talking about the three different dates that could be the start date for the 70 weeks and, and the controversy about those different dates and where that goes. And I'm like, holy smokes, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're not preaching for a decision at all. You're preaching for information only, 
That's, that's where you're preaching just for information. It doesn't get you anywhere. Um, if, you, if you have to take 20 minutes to describe some of that stuff, you're going right over the tops of people's heads. And you can watch them glaze over. And one of the hardest sermons I ever preach about is the 2300 days. Because I don't like math. And, it's, and peop, most people don't like math. And so they glaze over. You can see it in their eyes. They just glaze over. So what's the point of the 2300 days? Anybody know? Anybody want to give a guess? It's the, what? The word is cleansing the sanctuary, but that's cleansing the heart. Yeah. Right with God. Right. So I'm, when I'm preaching about it, I'm preaching about, yes, I'll, I'll hit the facts, but I'm going to hit them fast. Okay? In fact, when I preached one time, again, about 70 weeks, when I preached one time about 70 weeks, they, I had a church member come out and say, I've never seen anybody preach that that fast like you just preached it. You know, because <laughs> I don't get into all the math and all the, the charts. I mean, I'll put some of that up there, but I don't spend my time there. I focus on what what's the point of it. Where are you going with this? Is your heart clean? Are you ready to meet Jesus? And and that that's the point. And so. Um, when, when you stop and you talk about getting decisions, um, we have to remember that what we're aiming at is those decisions. I don't do an evangelistic series to stand up here and talk to people about prophecy. I don't, stand, I don't do an evangelistic series to preach the doctrines. I don't do an evangelistic series to inform the community what we believe. I do an evangelistic series to get decisions. So I was talking to a friend of mine. If I named him, many of you would know him. He's, he's actually a pretty famous Adventist preacher. Um, and he was at a pretty, he was at a university setting. Um, and he called me one day because they were having uh, John Bradshaw doing an uh, area-wide crusade at his church. He had the biggest church. And, and he called me and he says, I don't like some of the stuff that he's doing. I said, yeah, me neither. He said, what are you talking about? You do evangelism a lot. What do you mean you don't like it? And I said, I don't like everything they do. I said, but it's the only thing designed to get decisions within the Adventist church. So I keep doing it because it gets people to come across the line. He says, wow, I had never thought of it that way. I mean, he's been a pastor as long as I've been a pastor, 35 years. And so it's like, you know, it was a new thought to him, completely new thought. Um, um, Explain that just a little bit more. Explain. What do you mean explain it? Well, Ask it a little differently. It seems like the reference to doctrines or teachings, that's pretty priceless because they're all Christ-centered. Yes. But then, but you say, I really preach decisions. I mean... Okay, I can unpack that a little better. Yeah. So the question is, is... Uh, what does it mean that it's just about decisions? Because the doctrines are part of that package and the, and the prophecy is part of that package. Is that what I hear you saying? Um, I'm, I'm trying to rephrase it for the... You to make a, a difference there, like I work on the decisions, not the other. Okay, but the, but, the, but the doctrines and the prophecy are a means towards that decision. The information is vital. You still have to, I mean, I'm not saying don't use the information and the prophecies and the doctrines. Those are vital. I think they are Christ-centered. Um, but I have heard many evangelists preach them without Christ. And um, so you've got to make sure you're preaching with Christ at the center. I think Mark Finley does one of the best jobs we know of. Uh, I, I 
use some of Mark Finley's stuff when I preach an evangelistic series and I had an elder come to me one day. He says, I've never heard such Christ-centered sermons in my whole life. And I'm like, well, these are Mark Finley's sermons. I'm thinking to myself, he said, I've never heard anything like this in my whole life. And I'm like, well, I just did the series, this exact same series three years ago and I preached the same sermon. So you did hear him, but you know. <laughs> but, you know, we, we forget that. But I, I think, I, I, I'm not trying to relegate the doctrines or the prophecies or our beliefs down to the bottom of the pile. I'm saying they are a tool to get people to accept Christ and become a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, I'm inferring that you're not. I'm just saying how does the question loom larger or more critical when you <coughs> preach that other? I mean, it's not either or, it's both, but... Well, and I, and I think, let, let me see if... Build up the question more? Let me see if I unpack it more as we go, okay? And, and if I don't, let's come back to it, okay? okay? Um, so, I already talked about Mark Finley a little bit. Mark Finley says there's a lot of ways to get decisions. Raised hands, uh, stand, you know, everyone say amen, hand out a card, uh, bring a card forward, personal visitation. Those, those things all still work. People still make decisions based on that. Uh, I, we just finished a series a couple years ago, and there was a couple that sat over here. They were the only couple with masks on every night. Um, they came in with masks, and they were making decisions all along the way, but I couldn't get an appointment with them. And I still haven't been able to get an appointment with them. They, they just keep avoiding, we're coming to church this week, but we'll see you then. But then they don't. And, you know, and it's like they're avoiding me. And, but if, I know that if I could get, a, get them to sit down to make a, a decision, kind of a, make a call to them personally, I think I could get them across the line. And we just, we just brought a couple in this last Sabbath on uh, profession of faith. And they were doing the same thing. They sat right here every night, the exact same series. And they, she took copious notes. He comes out uh, second or third night and he says to me, you know, my first wife was a Seventh-day Adventist. She was crazy. I said, I just looked at him straight up in the eye and I said, but she was just crazy, not because she was an Adventist, right? And he says, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, but I finally got him to sit down in my office and I made a decision. I went through the baptismal vows with him and I said, you believe that, don't you? You know, and, and so when I just ask a simple question, they said, yeah, we're ready to join. I, you know, once I knew I could make the visit, I got them to make the decision. And it's simply, the, the information ought to lead you there. Sometimes, so the theory is, the statistic is, that evangelists get more decisions than uh, pastors do, but pastors get less decisions but keep the people. Why do you think that is? It's about relationships. See, the, the evangelist is leaving. And because he's leaving, he's got an arm thing to twist to say, I'm leaving, I'd sure like to see you make that decision before I leave. It's not a bad thing. And people want to please him because they like what he's saying, they like what he's teaching, so they'll make a decision. The pastor doesn't get those kind of decisions that, that quickly. But long term, he can keep working with people because he's got that relationship with them. But I also think it's because pastors are shepherds by nature. And shepherds want to pet the sheep, make them feel good, you know? And, and they, want to, they want to corral them and, and, and make them just feel good. An evangelist comes in and he's like, you know, 
blazing guns and he's going to tear heads off if they don't respond, you know. And I, I mean that in a good way, you know what I'm saying. But, but because most people are, shep most pastors are shepherd kind of people, they want to be nice and they take the heat off of people. Put the heat on. They don't know how to put it on. Yeah. And so, now, me on the other hand, I t I've tended most of my career to let other people do the evangelism. I've been the guy that's prepared the soil for the evangelism to happen. Um, but I, even though I have the name pastor, pastor, you know, I, I'm not a shepherd. It is, when you, when you look at my spiritual gifts, leadership, evangelism, and preaching is my top three. What's on the very bottom is the gift of mercy. You know, and so people don't want to come to me for counseling because I tend to go, what are you thinking about? You know, and, and so I'm not a very shepherding kind of person. So I don't mind going up to somebody and say, don't you think it's time you, you join, you know, make a decision? I, I'm a little more like an evangelist that way, although I'm not quite as much as an evangelist. And here's, here's interesting. You, you still got to preach good message messages. You still need to know your product. After working in sales for those four summers in high school or in college, um, I'm flabbergasted when I go see a, a salesman who doesn't know his own product. Yeah. Uh, it might be a car salesman. It might be a dishwasher salesman. They don't even know what they're selling. They don't even care. And I'm like, this is horrible. This is just horrible. As, an, as someone who's trying to get people to make decisions, you better know your stuff. You know, I, I get people who come and they say, uh, Pastor, I, I, you've convinced me about the Sabbath, but I'd sure like you to talk to my pastor about it. You know what they're really saying to me? My pastor's going to set you straight. And, and, and he's going to get me off the hook of this. And my response internally, I don't say it out loud, was, is bring it on. Because I know my Bible. And I know how to, to study this with people. I, I've been through this enough times that I am not scared of any pastor with any degrees. And, because I know that Seventh-day Adventists follow the Bible closer than anybody else. And I know what I believe. And because of that, I know my product. And I can teach it. Now, there's some things I don't know and some things I have to say, hmm, I'll look that up. I'll have to find that out. You know, um, you need to preach with conviction. Amen. You've got to preach like you believe it. <laughs> you know, if you want to get decisions, I remember the first evangelistic series I did in Sweet Home. It was... Uh, it was a regular, well, I did it, it was called it an angel seminar. We started at the high school, moved to the church, and my ministerial director um, shows up the night I'm preaching about the Mark of the Beast. And that was the first night back in the church. Wasn't the best choice of timing of some of that, but I thought that's a good night to get people to come over to the church because they'll want, everybody wants to hear the Mark of the Beast sermon. And, and I preached it, but it's a hard one because of how hard-hitting it is on, on Catholicism and stuff like that. And so I backed away from it a little bit. Plus, the crowd was smaller because we moved, and, and it was a new location. I'd gotten used to this crowd in the church I mean, in a school auditorium. And now we're in my church, and I should know my church, but I, it felt odd. You know what I'm saying? And it just didn't feel right. And so I'm up there preaching, and I'm a little unsure of what I'm saying. And my ministerial director was like, he says, you've got to preach with conviction, man. You know, you've got to act like you believe it. Do you believe it? I said, yeah, I believe it. He says, well, preach it that way then. You know, stop goofing around. And, you know, he hit me kind of hard. But, but I took it to heart because he's right. If you don't preach like you believe it, nobody else is going to believe it either. Um, 
So small decisions, step by step by step. Um, we've said that. My friend Hiram Rester is a evangelist. Um, he's a pastor now, but I think he's probably one of the best evangelists in Adventism right now. And he still does evangelism as a local pastor, but he doesn't travel and do evangelism anymore. We were talking about this one day, and he said he watched a crowd go from 100 guests down to 15 guests, and he baptized all 15 of them over the course of a series. Actually, he's a good evangelist, but this particular story, but I'll back up a little bit. When he was in seminary, um, he, he took time away from seminary every year to go do evangelism. That's how he paid his way through school. And in South Bend, Indiana, he did an evangelistic series while he's going to school, and he baptized 100 people in South Bend. And, this, and the professor was talking about it. He says, evangelism doesn't work. I don't know what's going on in, in South Bend right now. And Hiram raised his hand. He says, you know, I'm the evangelist that's doing that. I could, I'd be glad to teach you how it works. <laughs> but, but this one particular time, he had an, as this evangelistic series, went from 100 guests down to about 15, and then he baptized all 15 of them. And a guy comes up to him, and he's a pastor, an Adventist pastor. He says, you know, I've been attending most of your meetings. He says, yeah, I know. He says, the last series I did, I had 35 guests opening night. He says, that's great. He says, he says, yep. And he says, you need to do it like I do. He says, why is that? He said, well, you lost, you know, 85 people over the course of this evangelistic series. He says, at the end of my series, I started with 35 people. At the end of that series, I baptized, I mean, I, excuse me, at the end of that series, I still had 35 coming. Hiram says, that's incredible. How many did you baptize? He says, why well, we didn't baptize anybody? He says, well, then you're not preaching it right. He says, what do you mean I'm not preaching it right? He says, if my crowd doesn't go down every night, we always talk about it as being a negative. Hiram says, I'm calling people to a decision every night. And because of the, they're feeling the heat of the conviction, they either come back because they've made a decision to keep coming or they don't come because I pushed them too hard. And he says, if my crowd doesn't go down, I stop and analyze my preaching and wonder what I'm doing wrong. So it's a fascinating concept because we always look at the crowd loss as a bad thing. But as an evangelist, they're looking at it and say, why are people still coming? I'm not pushing hard enough to get a decision. Isn't that interesting? It's, a, it's kind of a fascinating way to look at it. Um, I think you have to come to expect decisions. Um, when you are looking at the crowd, you've got you to stop and say, what about Joe and Mary? What about Bob? What about Sue? What about Bill and Joe? You know, I think they're going to make decisions. I'm going to preach right at them. And, and I'll do it. When I'm up front preaching and I'm doing evangelism, I, because it happened to me. When I became an Adventist, I'm, we're sitting on like the second or third row, and my mom and dad had both been raised Seventh-day Adventists. They knew what was coming. I didn't. My, and just a little history, my dad was raised in a very conservative, strict Adventist family that if he broke the Sabbath, he got whipped, you know. Um, my mom was raised in a very liberal Adventist family, you know, in the 50s. They, she says, you mind if I go to a movie on Sabbath? And her parents would say, well, pick a good one. You know, nobody in Adventism went to movies on any day of the week, let alone on Sabbath, you know. Um, so it was fascinating because they both left 
the, the church about the time they met. And so I grew up not going to church anywhere. Now we're sitting in this evangelistic series and the pastor's making a call. The preacher is. And he's making a call, calling for a decision. And he's waiting. <clears throat> and nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. And my mom is bawling. She's crying. Because she's afraid that if she stands up for Jesus, she's going to be doing it all by herself. And she doesn't want to live that life. She's scared to death of that life. Unbeknownst to her, my dad, who's got his eyes closed, has his knee against my mom's knee. And he's saying to himself, if she goes, I'll go with her. She didn't know that. And they're not talking about it. They're not going home at night and talking like, I think we should start going to church. You know, They're not having those conversations for whatever reason. She finally says, that's it. She gives up and she stands up makes a decision. My dad's right there with her. My eyes are closed. My brother's eyes are closed. And all of a sudden we're looking around like, where'd they go? You know. And the preacher does this, literally. Now, this is not a joke. He, he looks at me and he goes like this. <laughs> I'm 12 years old. I'm an obedient boy. I got up, you know. <laughs> but, but I'll do that. When I'm up front preaching, I'll look straight at somebody and say, you need to make a decision, don't you? And, I, and I'll look straight at somebody. Uh -huh. And I'm preaching to everybody. Man, people come out and say, you were preaching right at me, weren't you? And I said, I'm just preaching, man, you know. And, you know, because I'm not going to push that hard one-on-one -on -one with somebody. I'm going to be nice to them one-on-one. -on -one. But when I'm up front preaching, I'm going to preach a little hard. I'm going to preach a little more uh, rigid for getting those kind of decisions. Um, I, when we were preparing the kids for doing uh, and this evangelistic series, we, it was, it's kind of a long story, kind of a Holy Spirit moment because about four people came to me independent of each other and we, we didn't have an evangelist lined up and they said, why don't we let the youth and young adults do it? And I was thinking the same thing. And so it's like independent of each other, we all came to the same conclusion. So we did this training for them and we invited uh, some friends out. They live in Tennessee to come join the process. They came out for the training and, and this one kid, he's 20 years old, he was like, I'm not preaching. I'll help with the video. I'll help with the sound. I'm not preaching. No way, I'm not preaching. And, and I, it's one of the hardest calls I ever gave to anybody because I just stared straight at him. I didn't point, but I said, you're being called. You need to make a decision. And, and he called his brother that evening. And his brother uh, was living north, northern Washington at that point. Um, and he says, so how did we can go? He says, well, I guess I'm preaching. He says, he says, how did Roger do that? He says, what do you mean, how did he do that? He says, you said you were not going to preach no matter what. You were not preaching. How did Roger do that? I want to know how to do that. <laughs> um, I don't think I was being manipulative. I think I heard the Holy Spirit prompting me to focus on this kid. And, to, and to, I stared him down. And, and I think it's okay to do. I don't think it's okay to be manipulative. You know, we're not going to twist people's arms to become members. I think that's a mistake. Um, and I think it's a dangerous mistake. But I think it's okay to let the Holy Spirit speak loud and clear to people. Um, I think you have to ask for decisions often and repeatedly. So, when we make up our cards for decision cards, the first card we get is on salvation. But on that card, I ask them if they want to get baptized. And then three or four nights later, I'll ask them if they want to get baptized again. And it's a card about the second coming. And then another 
week and a half goes by, I ask them if they want to get baptized again. And then we preach about baptism, and then I call for a decision on baptism. And it's funny to watch first-time people that work with me, they go, wow, we got five decisions for baptism tonight. I said, they don't mean anything. He said, what do you mean they don't mean anything? I said, half those people won't even come back tomorrow night but they check they want to get baptized. They might go back to their local church and get baptized. That's great. I'm glad they're making those decisions, but it won't count in the long run for our baptismal count. Okay? But what we're doing is planting seeds. Every time we ask for a decision, we're planting a seed. So Ellen White says in the, well, it's in the book called Porter Ministry. I don't remember where it is originally because that's a compilation. But she says, our job is to plant the seeds. It's God's job to water them. So, we're planting seeds because every time we talk about baptism, we're planting a seed so that when we actually make a direct call that's specifically about baptism, they've heard it two, three, four times. And now they're going, you know what? I think it is time for me to get baptized. I think it is time for me to get rebaptized. I think you have to affirm decisions. So you affirm them by, by shaking hands with people, meeting with them afterwards and saying, I, I see, I got your card. I want to say, way to go. You know, you made a big decision the other night to accept Jesus and follow the Sabbath. I just want to say, way to go. And I meet with them. I pray with them. I'm affirming the decision. Um, we, the way we do evangelism, I learned this again from Hiram, and, and I didn't like it at first because um, I'm... I'm the guy that you want to, I want to do things tried and true. I'm not in it. I don't like to experiment and fail. I want to experiment with something that's been tried and works, right? Hiram talked me into this one time. He came here to this church and he did an evangelistic series where he did two sermons a night and um, preached only on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. So you're getting six sermons and then Sabbath morning also. You're getting seven sermons a weekend. And I'm like, I don't like it. I'd rather go four or five nights a week because you get a routine of coming and that kind of thing. Time for maturation too. What? Time for maturity to grow into it. Yeah, but but here's what what he he's shown me, and I and the last few series we've done have been this two two sermons a night. Um, he says people make a decision and then they leave, and 15 minutes later they're doubting their decision. Yeah. So if you get them to make a decision in the first sermon. Then they stay for the second sermon. They're past that 15-minute window. They'll be more likely to keep that decision. So it's kind of a fascinating uh, psychology of the mind. And Ellen White says we should be students of the mind so we understand how people think and how they work. I don't ever want evangelism to be manipulative. I want it to be Holy Spirit-based. I want it to be conviction-based. Um, but... Um, it's, it's an important thing to slowly get those decisions, but also affirm those decisions. And so we make a lot of appointments. We visit with people. Most of the appointments nowadays work better, I find, rather than me driving to their house, having them set up appointments and meet me at my office. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first reason for that is it saves me hours of driving and missing people. Okay, and um, they make an appointment, they're more likely to keep that appointment than if I just randomly show up at their door. But when, when I first showed up at, at Lebanon, I started calling people because um, in Portland, I had called, um, I, I went to see some people and they were like, don't do that. 
you know, call first. They wanted to make sure their house was clean and their life was looking like it was in order before the pastor shows up. In Lebanon, some people just, this is 90 minutes south of here, um, they said, uh, don't, don't call, just show up. We're, we're just farmers, just show up, we'll be fine. And, but overall, more and more people aren't liking people to just randomly knock on their doors. It's a different world than it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And so I make appointments and have people meet me in my office. Um, it saves me time, but it, it's a step, it's another decision-making process for them to get in their car just to come meet with me or the evangelist. And so that decision process to come is part of the decision-getting process for me. And so to have them come and talk to us and spend that kind of time with us is, uh, is, is good. Um, you can do a lot of decision-getting visits just on the telephone. You don't, have to, you don't have to drive around and visit people. You don't have to go places. You know, you can just call people. Just the fact that you call them. You don't even have to call for a decision there. But the fact that they answer their phone, man, I'm sure glad you, you called me. That was, I'm really excited about that. They're more likely to come back and therefore they're more likely to make a decision. Every night they come back, if you've been preaching for that decision all along, if your crowd's been going down because you're preaching for those decisions, they're more likely to make that final decision. I think a lot of people don't get decisions because they just, they're afraid to make the call. I had two associates in Colorado, and we said, let's do an evangelistic series together, the three of us. And we did two sermons a night then as well. That was the first time I'd ever tried it, and I think it was an absolute failure then. Um, but there was a number of reasons for that. But I remember telling them that preach the sermon word for word. You've never preached an evangelistic sermon before. It's different than a Sabbath morning sermon. It's different. And, he, and they're like, okay, okay. And my one, my one associate preached it exactly like it was written. He did a great job. He wasn't much of a preacher. He'd never gone to school for preaching. He was just a local hire associate pastor. And uh, he never tried it, but he did it. And he did okay. The other guy was a pretty good preacher, but he couldn't follow those notes for the life of him. And he screwed up the sermons bad. Um, but, I, but I knew it's not about the information, remember? It's about the decisions. And what I told him was, the, I don't want you to follow the calls in the paperwork because they're a little different in how they're worded because of our brochure and the theme of the evangelism that we were doing. So I wrote out the decision process for them. I said, you don't have to preach the sermon. I, I got over that. You don't have to preach the sermon exact. Just get through the information, you know, in general, and you'll be okay. But I said, when it comes to making a decision card call, you've got to follow it. Because if you screw this up, we're, we're going to lose these people. And I, I basically took all the calls, except this one. But this guy's an ordained pastor. I thought, I'll give him one. I told him specifically, here's the card. Take it with you into the pulpit. Read from that. Don't read from the notes that's in the paper that we printed off. He, he, he didn't preach anything word for word until he got to that call, and he did the wrong call. And it was like, it wasn't even asking for the, it was just, I actually walked up the aisle, handed him a card, and here's the card they're looking at, Jim. <laughs> and because he was doing something completely different than what they were looking at. And, um, but I think you've, you, I think it's important 
to learn from people in how to make decisions. Um, I've got an audio of uh, Hiram talking to a group of pastors I was coaching uh, where he talks for an hour and a half on, on an audio recording about how, to get about how to get decisions. And it's powerful stuff. And, and I realized that most people aren't willing to listen. Um, they want to preach uh, feel-good sermons. Uh, a pastor called me one day and he said, Would you listen to my sermons? I'm preaching them on Sabbath mornings as I get ready to do an evangelistic series. So I said, Okay. I went to his website, pulled down his latest sermon. I think it was on the State of the Dead. And uh, next time I saw him, he said, what'd you think? I said, well, I listened to your State of the Dead sermon. He said, yeah, how was it? I said, it was a great pastoral sermon for Adventists. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're making people feel good about what we believe. But I said, evangelism is about preaching to people who don't believe it. And you've got to spend some time convicting them of the information and then calling them to a decision about it. And you're not doing either one. Okay? And, and he didn't get it. Um, he tried evangelism three or four times and it failed every time. Got zero people. And then he actually, he actually read my book and he says... I think I'm beginning to hear what you're saying now. Um, and it's making a, a change in his ministry. He's moved recently. He's not in the area anymore. But I think you have to spend time learning the methods of successful people who do it. I'm always looking for somebody who's ahead of me. Somebody who's done it before. I don't want to be the experiment. Um, I don't mind experimenting if I know it's going to work. And so, um, you know, I... I'm just always learning from people. And so, um, Ellen White says, there must be no fixed rules. Our work is, progress is a progressive work, and there must be room left for methods to be improved upon. But under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, unity must and will be preserved. She's saying, keep improving. Keep making it better. Study the mind. Study how to get people to, to respond to things. When you study the idea of habit-making, and how it takes so many days to form a habit. When you study the idea of how people make decisions um, and understand that people make decisions in an event, like an evangelistic seminar, but they follow through with it with their close friends, then part of the way we get decisions is we intermingle our, our Adventists amongst the people. And I tell my church all the time, I need you in the pews, not to critique what I'm saying, not to even learn anything new. I need you to meet the people sitting next to you because you will help them make a decision because it takes Adventists to make Adventists. Amen. So the biggest thing that I just want to keep reiterating, yes, preach the information, preach it with fervor, preach it like you believe it, but it's more than that. Because we are actually trying to make a difference in somebody's life. We're trying to make a difference in a way that says, you can have more peace in your life and you can be saved because of, because of Jesus, not because of doing this or that. I'm not trying to imply that. But I just feel like the decision process is, if we don't keep that in mind while we're preaching, we're going to lose that process and we're going to think it's all about information. The first, time I, the first time I preached, my uh, Bible teacher at the Portland Adventist Academy, a guy by the name of Floyd Matula, he says, you're going to preach. 
I said, I am? He says, yes, you are. I said, what do I preach? I don't know how to write a sermon. He handed me a book called Living God's Love. Remember that book from the 70s? Um, he says, pick a chapter out of here and preach it. So I did. I sat down with a piece of notebook paper. I took the chapter and I copied it almost word for word. And I stood up and preached it. I could have just opened the book and wouldn't save myself all that work of writing it, you know. Um, but I'm convinced that if we've never done evangelism, we need to preach it by the book. Do it by somebody that's, that's good at evangelism. Um, when I first moved here, I had an associate pastor. I, um, he says, we got an evangelistic meeting scheduled. I arrived in March. He says, we have an evangelistic meeting scheduled in May. I said, oh, cool. I said, what are you doing for it? And he showed me, and it was written by a guy that was working at the NAD at the time. Um, very creative person, a very good pastor, a very, uh, he's, he's kind of an outreach-focused pastor, but he did not understand evangelism. And I looked over the sermons, and I thought to myself, these are going absolutely nowhere. My associate preached them. I happened to be gone for some of them. I was working on my doctorate at the time, and, uh, but it was already scheduled. But he preached them, and it was, I would say it wasn't a disaster, but it didn't accomplish anything. And, and he asked me about it later, and I said, well, here's, here's what's going on. I said, you're, you're using advertising developed by a non-advertiser who doesn't understand evangelism advertising. And it's different. You can take an advertising company, and they don't get how to advertise Adventist evangelism. Um, I said, that's part of the problem. You're using somebody who's not an advertiser advertising evangelism, and they don't understand evangelism. And then you're using sermons from someone who has no idea what, what we're even trying to accomplish. And they weren't bad sermons in and of themselves, but they didn't go anywhere. And you know, in the meantime, that my former associate, he's like, okay, I, I've learned something here. And, but there, there's nothing better than seeing people make a decision for Christ. Right. And there's nothing better than watching them step forward and come to make that, that decision. And I had another associate, he had to get ordained, he had to do an evangelistic series. I said, well, let's do one. I said, I'll give you the sermon to preach. He says, okay. And so he does it. He, he gets all the way done with it. And, and while he's preaching it, I see the lights go on in his eyes and his face. And he ends up baptizing nine people because of it. He's forever changed. Because he's been a pastor for ten years and has only baptized children of members. That's all he's ever baptized up to that point. But now nine people have made a decision for Christ because of his preaching and it changed his world. And he's still doing evangelism. And because when you see people, when, when, when Jose shared those numbers last night about how many churches are declining within the Adventist church, um, I think it's scary. When I was coaching, I, when I was, I was at the conference office doing, I was the director of outreach and evangelism. When I took over, I looked at the numbers for Oregon Conference. The average number of baptisms were three baptisms per church per year. And there were 30 churches who hadn't had any baptisms um, in the last three years. In a three-year average of the top ten churches for growth, for number of baptisms, nine of them were Hispanic churches. 
the only non-Hispanic church was this church. Um, we had taken a year off because Ron Cluse had come in and done a field school and it worn us out. Like he'd worn us out. He did a five and a half weeks long series instead of a four week series and he did a whole bunch of stuff ahead of that and plus held classes for the seminary students. So we took a whole year off, just didn't do any of it. And we came in third on the list. We would have come in first or second. At the end of the next two years, I, I uh, had coached eight different guys. Um, on how to do evangelism. Five of them uh, now made the top 10 list of the conference. The Hispanics hadn't slowed down at all. They were still going just as hard. I think it's a fallacy that Anglo churches can't get decisions anymore. Amen. And I think it's a fallacy if you say people are different now and evangelism doesn't work. Because dollar for dollar, the most effective thing we've ever done is, it's, is to do a public evangelism. And so um, it, it costs money. Yes, it costs money. But I can tell you from a spreadsheet I keep that it takes $200 to get a person through the front door. That's it. Wow. It takes 1500 to 2000 to get a baptism. The NAD average right now is $10,000 per baptism. Mm -hmm. So I, I got it all in a spreadsheet and I can show it to you. But... It's the only thing designed to get decisions. But if you don't call for those decisions, then it's really expensive use of time and energy. There's a reason why they used to call them evangelistic efforts, right? Because at the end of it, you, you may not be dead, but you might wish you were, okay? Um, but at the same time, it does get those decisions. People today are asking the same questions that we were when we were teenagers. The teenagers today are asking the same questions. The, the young adults are asking the same questions that we were asking when we were young adults. The seniors are asking the same questions that our parents were asking when they were seniors. It, they're looking for different places for the answers. They're finding the answers in different places than we were looking for them. But they're asking the same questions. What's my purpose? Where am I going? Why am I here? How did I get here? Adventist evangelism is the only thing we do that answers that question on a regular basis. The information is self-evident. Yeah. The information that Adventists believe is clear. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care who you are. Most pastors I know today, Adventist, Methodist, Baptitarians, okay, they are all saying that Saturday is the Bible Sabbath. Yeah. Some are actually keeping it. Most are not. But they're saying, yes, I see Saturday as the Bible Sabbath, but it doesn't matter. So the information is fairly self-evident. Um, and we bring, what we bring to the table is conviction about that. Yeah. We bring the Holy Spirit to allow conviction to happen. And we're calling people to say, what are you going to do with this information? That's really what it comes down to, is what do we do with this information so that it makes a difference in your life? And most pastors are unwilling to make that call. And we, we just have to make sure we do it because I think we leave so much on the table by not asking. Um, when, I was, when I was in college, I took a, 
a business minor and I had to take a class. I don't remember what the class was called, but part of one third of the class was on negotiating. And we had to read a book. It was called Power Negotiating, this little paperback book, Power Negotiating. And it gave the rules of what to do with negotiating. When you're standing and you're talking to somebody to negotiate, stand on a higher step and look down at them. It's a power move, right? Um, when you're, uh, whatever information you can find out about the other, your other people you're negotiating with is fair game. Find it out. Well, they went through all these things. Our teacher handed out papers one day. He says, we're going to split up in groups of two, and we're going to go and do some negotiating. Half of you are going to get your information. The other half will get their information. You're going to get together with somebody from the other side, and you're going to negotiate. Let's see how you do. I'm sitting next to my next-door neighbor in the dorm. He gets one of them. I get the other one. He goes like this. We switch papers for two minutes while he keeps giving instructions. We switch back. Okay? The book said that he had us read, any way you can find out information is fair game. Right? That's what he said. Now we come back from the negotiating, and he writes on the board, what'd you get, what'd you get, what'd you get, and he writes down all the negotiations. And everybody's near the middle, except Bob and I. He's way out in front of his, the person he was partnered with, and I was way out the other side. And, I, and we're sitting right next to each other, and we're like turning our backs to each other, like, I don't know him, you know, trying to look not conspicuous. It was crazy, but here's what happens in negotiating. If you don't ask, you leave money on the table, okay? If you don't ask, now we're not asking for money. We're not doing this so we can get rich. We're not doing it so we can pay the mortgage off on the church. We're not doing it because we want to have a great big church. That's not why we do this. We're doing it for souls. And if we don't ask, we leave a soul out of the kingdom. We've got to ask. We've got to ask the question, don't you want to follow what we believe? And if we don't, we're losing out. At the Propel Conference, we put a lot of emphasis on reflection. Don't just zone out listening to these presentations. Take a moment to stop and really think about what you've heard. My question for you is, what's one big idea that jumped out at you? How can you apply what you just heard at your own church? What are you inspired to do? And when this episode finishes in another minute or so, I encourage you to pause for five or 10 or even 15 minutes and just let your mind wander. This kind of reflection can be really influential in your own journey. Okay, that's it for this episode. We'd love your feedback. You can email us at podcast at propelconference.org. Special thanks to Dr. Roger Walter for speaking at this year's conference. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. The event recording services were provided by Adventist Learning Community. And the podcast is produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of The Propel Podcast. Mm -hmm.